0: And tonight, as we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 5 again, again, just really one more verse, I want to take a little bit of time to maybe do a little bit of what Jesus could have done, because remember, they're outside, he's speaking to them on the mount, and he could have pointed, you know, across the Sea of Galilee, could have pointed just behind him to Mount Hermon, or some part of the creation of God. As he speaks this next beatitude, the sixth of them, and our seventh part here in the Sermon on the Mount, he says in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those with an undivided heart, an uncontested heart, an open heart, a heart that doesn't have competition going on in it, for they shall see God. And so tonight, the one who sees God, Father, we thank you for this blessed time that we can come together, study your word to hear from you, Lord, to have you speak to us. And we pray that you would do exactly that, God, tonight. Would you minister by the power of your Spirit to us as your children. And so, God, we give you the time. Use it now to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I promised that I would do, and I do have a PowerPoint for you. We don't normally do that. And the reason I want to do that is when you think about God and you think about seeing God the very earliest ancients did actually believe that God dwelled in the heavens for the most part someplace beyond the visible someplace to where you and I might say looking up into the sky they thought somewhere out there somewhere over the rainbow there was a all supreme, all powerful, all wonderful, all knowing being that we call God. And by the time we rolled around to the 1600s, man by the name of uh, Hans Lepernski invented the first telescope. And shortly after that, Galileo used that same design uh, to build the most prominent model of the time in about 1609. And as he stared up, in, stared up into the heavens, uh, there was a thought that perhaps if you looked in the right place and saw just far enough out into the beyond that you might actually be able to see God. By 1611, Johannes Kepler uh, developed an even more powerful compound eyepiece and allowed him to go further and further and further. And by the time... That astronomy progressed and we made into the 1930s. Maybe some of you have been to the Griffith Park Observatory. Uh, That was a high mountain then, and so you built that 12 inch telescope that sits up there. It wouldn't be too long before the 100 plus inch Hale telescope would be built on Mount Palomar. And in our day and time, if you travel, I'm wearing my Aloha shirt today, if you were to travel to the Big Island of Hawaii, if you were to go to Mauna Kea, and you go to the top of there at about thirteen thousand six hundred feet. You find the Keck, the Keck telescopes, the largest telescope array in the country, really in the world of their type. And as you stare off into the heavens, what we can see now, so far exceeds those primitive years of astronomy. And then, ultimately, though it was failed at first, we launched the Hubble space telescope. And so you go from the 1600s, the very early 1600s to today, and people looking into the heavens wondering what they would see. Scripture declares for us there in the 8th Psalm, for the heavens declare your handiwork. How do we see God? What do we find? How, how big is God? You know, sometimes we so limit God, in our understanding of who he is. You see, the reason that originally all observatories were built on very high mountains is the clearer the air, the stiller the air, the better the view. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed is the person whose heart is lifted into the heavens. Blessed is the person whose heart is pure. Blessed is the person whose sight is unobstructed. By anything else. For they shall see God. Now we get a little bit better glimpse of the heavens. Sometimes we stare out into space. When you think about space now. That photograph that you see there. These are all from the Hubble Space Telescope. Almost 80% of every object in that screen is not a star. It's a galaxy. And each one of them with hundreds of billions of stars. That eighth psalm goes on to say, What is man that thou art mindful of him? What is man that thou art mindful? If you look at this cluster, there's almost 100,000 stars. If you could count all those stars in that photograph, and you just went wild and crazy and sat there for two or three days and didn't miss any of them. You'll, you'll come up with a hundred thousand of them just in that one little area. That's the Omega Centauri globular cluster. It's in our own Milky Way galaxy. It is an area, if, if, you, if you look at the night sky and you stick your finger up in the air and you look over the top of it from the bottom of it, you're seeing less than one degree of arc that photo is less than a half of degree of arc looking out into our own Milky Way galaxy. That's a hundred thousand stars. How big is your God? How amazing is your God? You know, sometimes when we think on the things that you know, we as mere mortals think about. The spiral galaxy, it's out how many of you have seen the Big Dipper? Oh, you see, you look up in there, there's a Major, you look at it, and you go, oh, there's a the big dipper, and there's a little dipper right next to it. There's a disk of stars. That's 46 million light years from here. To give you an idea, a light year is 5.7 trillion miles. That's just a little tiny kind of galaxy that God made with his finger, with his handiwork. He was kind of messing around finger painting one afternoon and made that galaxy. When you look at the stars and the moon and all of those things, you know, sometimes when you look at things in the night sky, it's pretty tough. In the center of this or near the center of it, you'll see a couple of galaxies and there's another galaxy about to be swallowed up by it. The distance between those two galaxies is 100 trillion miles. 100 trillion miles. And we think, you know, going to Long Beach is a long way. (laughs) It's like, man, it took me 40 minutes. How big is your God? Do you want to see Him? Do you want to know Him? Do you want to understand Him? This is just a little, it's a little gas clouds, but Astronomers would tell you the stars are made out of condenses, does all kinds of crazy things, but it's 18 trillion miles across. These are, these are distances that are so monumental. That's 9,500 light years from Earth. So if light's traveling at 186,200 plus miles per second, again, it takes monumental amounts of time. You know, sometimes we think about God and these little tiny finite minds of ours, I want to see God. And yet he does stuff like this with just uh, his handy. He doesn't really even have to work at it too much. It's called the great bug. It's an interesting name for a gas emission from a dying star. But what you're looking at there is 26... Trillion miles wide. And those gases are moving apart from each other from the center of the explosion at 600,000 miles an hour. Crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. And yet we somehow think that, you know, "Ah, does God really care about me? The stars inside of this gas cluster, every one of them, the stars themselves if you were to take those stars and plop them in our solar system, they're actually bigger than our solar system. What is man that God is mindful of us? Can we see him? Can we know him? And yet he tells us that these things that we look up in the night sky are just his way of reminding us who he is. Titans, little tiny, the moons of Saturn. There's so many crazy things when we think about, you know, what God did with creation. And yet there's, for all the research and all of the learned astronomers and astrophysicists and people that have spent their entire lifetime studying space, you know, we still haven't found a single planet anywhere in the universe save this one, that's capable of sustaining life. Not one. And yet he knows about the sparrows that drop to the ground. Amen? This little tower of gas. I love this picture. It's just amazing when you think about it. It's 57 trillion miles long. We throw those numbers around in... in astronomy, and it's like, eh, oh well. So many things for us to see, so many things for us to understand, and yet the Lord cares about you individually tonight. And he wants you to see him, and to know him, and to think on him. Sometimes we kind of overlook those things. When you ponder who God is, How do you see them? You see, some people look at these things and they go, oh, wow, that's, you know, God must have done that. And he did. But God also created you. Think about it. Our whole solar system could fit in there 20 times (laughs) along the length of that little gas cloud. And yet, it took them almost a year of compound images just to take that photo. And yet God just eh, fling it out there into space. I want to show you one more. This is one of the coolest photos ever, if you love this kind of stuff like I do. It's the Sombrero Galaxy. It's one of the largest that's ever been looked at and mapped. The galaxy itself is 50,000... Light years. Multiply 50,000 times 5.7 trillion miles, and that's how wide it is. There are hundreds of billions of galaxies in the known universe. What is man that thou art mindful of him? So when Jesus says, Blessed is the man who's pure in heart, for he shall see God, she shall see God, we shall see God, they shall see God. He's revealed himself. He's talking about something that's possible. When I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of? And the son of man that you would visit him. For you made him a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory and honor. How can you not look at something like that and go, man, God is awesome. And yet people don't put much effort in trying to see God. You know, Moses tried to see God. And if you remember his story there in Exodus chapter 33, it was Moses went up onto the high mountain. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks with his friends. Can you imagine how much of an open heart you have to have towards the Lord to actually spend time with God that way? Adam also walked with God, talked with God, spent time with God. And yet, Exodus 33 would go on to remind us that no man can see God and live. No one has ever seen God in that sense but they've seen his son. As John's gospel opens for us, no one has seen God at any time, but only begotten of God, who is the bosom of the father, says there in verse 18 of John chapter one. Whenever you see God, whenever you see his handiwork, whenever you look up into the night sky, whenever you see the face of your child, whenever you have that touch from a family member, whenever God is at work in your life, God is asking you to open up your heart. He's trying to speak to us. It's that unseen conscious glow of grace, if you will, that comes into our lives. When Moses finished, you remember when Moses finished talking with God, you remember what happened? His face glowed with the radiance of, of the Lord. That Shekinah glory was on him. And then there was a time when that glory started to fade. As that glory started to fade, Moses kind of, well, Aaron helped him. He put a bag over his head so that nobody would see that the, that the glow was missing. You see, he'd seen God. He'd been with God. He'd spent time with God. And in going back to the things of the children of Israel, the glow of God began to depart. You see, when you get out of fellowship with the Lord, when you have a divided heart, when other things get between you and God, the glow starts to fade. And all of a sudden, you can't remember the last time you actually talked to God. You you're not really sure because your heart is so consumed with other things. And the heart to the Hebrew, really to the Greek as well, was was more than just this thing that, you know, pumps blood through your circulatory system. It was the seat of human emotion. It was really where your personality dwelt. And so what's really being said here is, is look, the the person whose personality is pure, the person whose thought life is pure, the person whose life in general is right where the Lord wants it to be, proceeding out of that, that inner person. Remember, Jesus said, he says, you know, it's not what's on the outside that defiles man, it's what's on the inside, that's the issue. When you have a divided heart, when when you're not okay on the inside, just as Jesus said there in Matthew 23, it's the inner man. Out of the heart proceeds those things Jesus said that are the problem. That's when you stop seeing God. All of a sudden you find yourself out of fellowship. Maybe not with other people, but out of fellowship with God. I'm sure all of us, if you walk with the Lord for any period of time, you've spent some time with an impure heart, and that impure heart has kept you from seeing God. You kind of look around, and you go, man, where's God? Where's God in my life? You look around, and you can't find him. The simple fact of the matter is, he didn't go anywhere. He didn't move. He hasn't gone anywhere. He didn't take off. He didn't abandon you. His word's clear on that. I will never leave you nor forsake you, says the Lord. So he's there. The problem is that divided heart can't see him. That impure heart can't see him. That sin-filled heart can't see him. You see, it's kind of like those photographs of galaxies and star systems and gas cl- clusters. You, you, you have to have the right equipment in order to see God. You can't gaze into the infinite with a muddy lens. You, you, you won't be able to see out billions and billions and billions of miles into space, trillions of miles, miles into space, without the right objective lens. And what God's really saying to us tonight, I think, is, We need to be single-minded. We need to be freed from the tyranny of a divided self. Because sometimes our, our self is so divided that we're one way at church and another way at home and yet another way at the office and yet another way at school and another way in the grocery store. We're divided. And our view of God gets obscured. We just don't see Him the way we would like to. And so He says, Blessed is the pure in heart. You remember when Jesus was speaking to an attorney a lawyer in Matthew chapter 22 one of them asked him a question he said teacher which is the the greatest commandment in the law do you remember what he said Jesus responded he says you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind this is the great and the foremost or the greatest of the commandments Notice how I put the heart in there first. You see, love the Lord with all your heart. Because you're not going to see him. You're not going to hear from him. You're not going to have an unobstructed view of heaven with a divided heart. You have to have that singleness, that purity of motive and purity of devotion. You have to be free from falsehood. And I'm sure you all know people that you know, struggle with being uh, what the Greeks would have called a hypocrite an actor. They put on a mask, but even that mask divides their view, divides their heart so that they don't really see God. And no one can see them. They think they're hiding. They speak Christianese fluently when they're in church. And they speak sailor when they're at work. You see, that's a divided heart. One is a pure heart. One's a divided heart. One is I'm the same just as the Lord is yesterday, today, and forever. I, I'm like the Lord as much as possible all the time. Can I remind you that that includes your motives, your thoughts? Anything is devious or ill motivated or lacking the proper. Basis in your relationship with the Lord. Some people so weave around themselves a fabric of lies that you can no longer tell exactly which part of them is real. That's a divided heart. They don't see much of the Lord, they're too busy weaving the fabric, too busy trying to make other people think one way or another. James actually and uh, Jesus' half-brother if you remember in James chapter 4, he basically reminds us, look, the double-minded person. They're tossed to and fro. They, they don't have a clear view of really anything but they certainly don't have a clear view of God. And see, our fellowship is built on understanding who God is to be sure on one side of it, but it's really being available to Him on the other side. It's like, Lord, here I am. You see everything about me, you know who I am, you know all my faults and weaknesses, and I still want to have fellowship, and I know you want to have fellowship with me. You kind of have to leave it all out there. I don't know how many of you have traveled to, you know, spent, gone to a a class reunion. To me, those are, there's some pretty interesting sociological interactions that go on at things like that. People that haven't seen each other, and yet they can think back to the glory days of high school, I won't tell you how many is coming up for me, but it's been a, it's been a while. Long enough that we had not been on the, you know, we just landed on the moon. Uh, but w- when you talk to people at those types of events, or maybe it's some type of business reunion, and you know you go there, and all of a sudden, everybody is a brain surgeon, and everybody, you know, they went and rented a really nice car to drive, when actually they've got like the total beater. And they come, they went out and rented nice clothes and, you know, they come in and, oh, yeah, I'm doing great. When, in fact, actually, you know, they've gone through two or three failed marriages and their life is an absolute wreck. They actually, they actually live in a car that no longer runs. And yet they'll tell you, oh, yeah, no, I'm just doing great. I got all this stuff going on. That's a divided heart. See, they're afraid to let you know what's actually going on in their life. Because they think that you will think something about them that they don't want you to think. Can I say to you that a lot of people live lives in the Lord exactly like that? They put up a wall, they put up airs, they make up some kind of story, and they actually think that God believes it. Like he doesn't know the real deal. Like he can't see past all of that. And so Jesus is blessed to the pure in heart. For I'll actually come talk with them, hang out with them, see them, meet with them, talk to them face to face. When you get real with God, God gets real with you in that sense that reciprocal fellowship. You see, he'll always love you. He's not gonna leave you or forsake you. But he wants to have a real relationship with us. You see, we can't go two directions at once. I don't know how many of you have ever thought about the possibility of trying to walk two directions at once. It's somewhat impossible, amen? You know, one leg goes right, the other leg goes left. No, we're not dealing with that. I'm going this way, no, I'm going this way. It's kind of hard, right? you going to go anywhere? Mm-mm. The same is true with God. You can't be going two directions at once. You've got to go one direction. It's towards the Lord. That's why John in 1 John chapter 2, there in verse 15, says, Don't love the world or the things of the world. For anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's of the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life, it's not from the Father. It's from the world. The world is passing away and it's lust, But he who does the will of the Lord abides forever. He, the person that really wants to see God, the person that gets honest with God, the person that does business with God, the person that isn't afraid to say, God, I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. And it seems strange at times because we're telling something that we telling God something we know he knows. But isn't it the hardest thing in the world to do? And yet, Scripture is very clear if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive and forgiven, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, the reason God does that in a, in a practical sense, you're justified by the blood of the Lamb. But in a sense of fellowship and camaraderie and getting together with God, the reason we do that is so we can restore fellowship with Him. It's like, Lord, I, I want to see your face. For those of you who have children, you know, when you have to discipline your children, there's that there's that horribly awkward time when that thing has not yet been discussed or confessed, or you know, maybe mom heard about it but dad hasn't, and dad now has to talk to the kids and it's like there's this thing hanging over your relationship and until it's made right, it's like you don't want to see your father. You don't want to see your mom. You have no desire to be anywhere near them because there's something between you and them. The same is true with God. When there's something between you and God, sometimes we don't want to talk to God. It's like, nah, I'm kind of a mess right now. I was just someplace I shouldn't be. I just did something I shouldn't do. You know, Jeremiah was correct there in Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful and above all things, desperately wicked. It's true. But the good news is, is you can still have a pure heart. It's problematic. It's, it's troubling. But God can still do something so that we can have that right fellowship with him. Isn't it interesting that all of the greatest examples of faith in the Bible were pretty much failures any way you look at it? Look at that hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. Look, look at those people that are listed in there. Moses, <laughs> by faith, left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured seeing him who is unseen. You see, Moses didn't have it all together, but he still saw God. Moses wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't like the pillar of all things wonderful as far as a relationship with God. He, he beffed it. He blew it. But he wanted to have a right relationship. Prophet Isaiah it wasn't until the great king Uzziah died that he saw the Lord lifted up. David, <laughs> you realize he's the only person in the Bible about whom was said he was a man after God's own heart. gives us hope for us, amen? Think about it. He was an adulterous lying murderer and he still had a heart after God. You see, so it's not about what you've done. It's about what you have done with what you've done. Have you given it over to the Lord? Have you said, look, I, Lord, I don't want this between us. I want to have a pure heart. As David would go on to write, um, both Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, it's just this cleansing of his soul and the openness he has to, to seeing the word. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. He just starts to spew these things out. Lord, my vision is unobstructed now. I can actually see you. And the idea is that of the blessing being restored of that relationship that he had. Wash me and cleanse me from my iniquity. I desire you. Psalm 51, just this incredible cry of his heart. You desire truth in my innermost, being the hidden part. You want to make me know wisdom. Purify me. Purify my lips with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Hide your face from my sins, blot out my name. He just goes on and on and on and on. And the reason that that was effective is he says, God, I don't want anything standing between you and me. I don't know how many of you have ever sat in the cheap seats at any type of maybe a sporting event or a concert or something. You know, you're up in the nosebleed section and you happen to get the one person who's seven foot nine in the entire stadium. And they're sitting right in front of you, and they're what I call uh, stand-up, sit-down, fight, 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 lean to the left, lean to the right. They, they cannot sit still, so you go like this, they counter with it. It's like they have eyes in the back of their head. They know exactly where to go, and you can see nothing. Because you've got this giant in front of you whose head is abnormally large. And you're like craning your neck. You want to see something in the game and you're looking and you expend all of your energy so that when you get done and you go home, your whole body is racked with pain from trying to look around this person sitting in front of you known as Goliath. But you have taken the time to look. You've taken the effort to, to try and get a clearer view that's why there's some pain that's why your neck's a little stiff can I tell you that if you really want to see God it's going to cost you something it's going to be a little bit painful at times you're you're actually going to oh Lord that? you mean I got to? yes Jeff that that needs to go that attitude you get that snippy little thing that you do You see, God knows all those things already, but he's waiting for us to agree with him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You start to lose all those stupid motivations that we have that aren't right with the Lord. Well, you know, Lord, how they treat me. You know, Lord, what that person said to me. You you know how my husband or my wife, you know, they they just don't get me. They don't understand me. You, You know what I've been through. And God's going, yes, and you're still a knucklehead, and it needs to go. Next time you go to a Kentucky fried chicken, just remember that KFC actually stands for Knuckleheads for Christ. (laughs) You didn't know that. You thought it was Kentucky Fried Chicken all these years. And we're all in that club. That's why Paul said there in First Corinthians chapter fifteen. He says, "Look, I, I'm last of all, as one who was born out of time. I was had an untimely birth, and yet Christ appeared to me." You, you see, his view was very obstructed, wasn't it? You see, the Apostle Paul used to be Saul of Tarsus. Amen. You talk about an obstructed view. You talk about someone who allowed legalism and bondage and tradition. and and the thoughts of his heart govern so much so that as he was in Acts chapter 9 and he's traveling on the road to Damascus he's breathing threats and murder he's looking for Christians that he can either throw in jail or physically uh, see put to death and his view is completely obstructed and so what does God do? God strikes him blind and eventually Jesus speaks to him he says, right now you can't see me because your vision's all messed up. you got a temporary disease that's not allowing you, but I, I want you to be able to see me. Saul, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? Y- you see, what the Lord really, I think, wants to say to us tonight is is there something in your life that's obstructing your view of God? Is there some issue of heart? It doesn't have to be something big. Sometimes it's just envy. That'll keep you from seeing God. Jealousy will keep you from seeing God. Anger, bitterness, hatred, vanity. its all kinds of things that will keep you from seeing They can just obstruct your view of the heavens. You see, you can have the most amazing telescope array on Earth, and have a dirty lens through which you're looking, and you won't see a thing, no matter how great the telescope is. You can have this amazing walk with the Lord. You can, you know, you you can have biblical knowledge. It just runs out of your ears. But if there's something on the lens of your life that's not right with God, it will keep you from seeing God. You'll see the problems, you'll see the stuff, you'll see the things, but you won't see God. And I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus spoke to Saul of Tarsus on that road. Remember how the Lord responds? To you? And, and, and Saul kind of gets it. He says, mm, who are you, Lord, I am Jesus. You need to get up and go into the city. I'll tell you what you need to do. He was speechless. You see, it's true that anyone who is a, in Christ is a new creation. But we then have to have an undivided heart. See, you could still kind of be clinging to the old ways, the old stuff, the junk. And so Jesus says, look, here's a promise. And James repeated, purify your hearts, cleanse, lament, lament, mourn, take a look at your life, get rid of the stuff that's not supposed to be there, clear up your view of heaven. That's why I believe David in Psalm 19 said there in the 14th verse, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock, my redeemer. So I know who you are, but let my life match up so that I can see you better. The possibility is always there. So how do we do it? Can I remind you that you live in a universe that's filled with God? He's not hard to find. (laughs) The problem is we need to wipe the lens a little bit. Kind of need to take stock in some of the things that's keeping us from being able to see Him. See, right now, as Paul said there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he said, right now we see him with an with a unveiled face beholding him in a mirror. One day we're going to see him in his glory. If we want to see him in his glory now, we have to clean up the lens. Blessed are those who have a pure heart. We kind of need to take out that bar of soap sometimes, don't we? Anybody ever need the, the spiritual bar of soap taken to your life? You know, like OxyClean for the soul. It's like whatever stain you got, it'll get it out. That's the righteousness of Christ. Doesn't it feel so good to do that? Doesn't it feel so good to give your cares and concerns over to the Lord? I want to really encourage you, for those of us that have walked with the Lord for a long time, man, it it used to be interesting when when you first get saved, It's like you kind of store up a basket of junk and then you fall apart and you go get saved again. That's usually what happens. Or something like that. Or you rededicate your life. So you kind of this up and down thing. As you get older, you know what? You start wiping off the lens really frequently. You don't let the gunk build up on the lens. Back in the day when, you know, all you had was a 30, I don't, I don't know, there's some of you in here that are old enough, I can, I can see that. I remember back in the 50s, after the Korean War, it's like everybody had one of those Argus, the rectangular square cameras that weighed like 614 pounds. They were like a brick. And, and, and the eyepiece was inset just enough on the back that it could get so gunky that she's like, man, I'm not going to take that picture. Because it looked terrible. Because you weren't looking through the actual lens which was going to take the photo, you were looking through the eyepiece. And so your view through the eyepiece was actually on your side of the camera. That's the way it is in the Lord. The gunk is on your side of the camera you need to clean that up so you can actually see clearly God's always trying to get our attention to do that too we walk in the light remember John 1st John we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us you see we have to walk in light we gotta gotta clean things up every once in a while gotta get that bar of radiance pure sin remover and kind of scrub a little bit every once in a while it was true of David, It's true of Isaiah, true of the disciples. They weren't perfect. I always have conversations with people about the disciples. You, you, just, you have to love what the Lord did in choosing the disciples, amen? Because there's hope. There's hope for all of us. You can find a little bit of you in at least one of the disciples. You know, yep. just like that. You see, God reminds us that right now we haven't appeared to be what we will be one day. But we know when he appears, we're going to be like him. So what we need to do in the intervening time is to have an undivided heart, a pure heart. A heart that's focused on the Lord. A heart that says, look, Lord, there's something in my life and it needs to get cleaned up. Tonight we have an opportunity to do that. But again, it's not to pressure you. It's just as simply as to say, blessed are the pure in heart. Happy is the one. Very happy is the man, the woman, the person whose heart is not divided. Has an unobstructed view of heaven. You, You see glorious things when you have an unobstructed view of heaven. People ask, well, how do you get into ministry? By having an unobstructed view of heaven by cleaning things up, asking God, look, I want to see you, Lord. One day, we're all going to see Him face to face. Right now, we don't have that opportunity, but we can see Him. Not face to face, but we can see Him. when We have a pure heart. No hidden agendas. No double purposes. One of the things I used to... actually was kind of fun i travel around with Pastor Chuck. I have a ton of Pastor Chuck stories. But when you travel with Pastor Chuck, he's because he's the founder of Calvary Chapel and oh, he's in heaven now, it's amazing. You could have a group of guys, especially when we go do things. We'd go somewhere and there going to be some kind of thing, some project. And you'd show up, and the moment Pastor Chuck got wherever it was and was visible... People automatically changed how they talked, what they were doing. They picked up tools. They, you know, they got someone else to splash water so it looked like they were sweating. You know, it's just like, oh yeah, oh we've been doing, you know, all this stuff, and it was like they thought if they lied about what they were doing, that somehow that was going to be pleasing to Chuck. And Chuck used to always talk on the plane, going, "Did you see that guy?" Yeah, when I got there, he picked up a shovel. He saw everything. God's the same way. He knows when you run over and pick up a shovel when you actually haven't been working too hard at being one of his kids. He he knows when you kind of have a little bit of a, a, a double tongue, a double nature, if you will, that you're one thing here at church and you're another thing when you leave here. Don't let God's glory fade in you. Be pure of heart. He loves you just the way you are. He loves me just the way I am. Doesn't mean he doesn't want to change us, but he loves us the way we are. And so we can lift that veil of pride. We can, we can let that go. And it's not off-putting to God. As long as you want to get rid of it. It's just oh, I love you. We keep our heart, as Proverbs 4 says, with all diligence. For out of it come the issues of life. i bring the worship team back up. I'm going to spend a little bit of time and have the prayer team come forward. Maybe there's some gunk on your eyepiece, on your lens. Maybe looking through the binoculars. You know, if you have the, the old style binoculars that don't have the autofocus on them, you could adjust one eyepiece one way or the other, and when you, it just made the whole thing a mess because one was off. Sometimes it's little things. There's something junking up your view of heaven. It would be a good idea to get rid of it so you can enjoy fellowship with God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A prayer team's going to come forward. We're going to spend some time worshiping. And we're going to close in prayer. Remember, God wants to fellowship with you tonight. He wants to fellowship with you all the time. So make sure, if you want that, that you do your part so that you can see him. Just let him have it, whatever it is. It's instantaneous, by the way. You don't have to earn it there's something in your life you just need to get rid of. It starts right now. starts tonight. And you can have an unobstructed view on the Lord Jesus. And that's what he wants. Amen.